you, Lord. Lord, Father, we do come before you in the name of Jesus this evening. And Father, we are grateful to be here. Father, grateful to be a part of your family, Lord, to, Lord, be those men that you have called out from among the dead. Father, our presence here tonight, Lord, we believe that it indicates that, Father, you have work for us still, Lord, in spite of our many failings, and Lord, you know who we are, our many shortcomings. Father, you have plans for us, and you have, uh, Lord, a purpose at work in each of our lives, Lord. And Father, that makes us hopeful. That encourages us, Lord, to press forward, to press towards the the goal, the upward call of of God in Christ. Father, we are your children. We, We claim of ourselves to be your children. We want to ask this night, Lord, as we look at these passages of Scripture, Father, let your Holy Spirit work inside of us. Father, straighten that which is bent in us. Strengthen that which is lacking. Instruct us in the way that we should go. Straighten our hearts and minds to hear according to your purpose and to receive the instruction that you've intended. We love you, Father. We want to learn how to love you as we are supposed to. Bless us as your your sons this night. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So uh, Peter and Jesus at the residence of the high priest, John 18, verses 15 through 27. Do you want to learn how to do something? If you want to learn how to do something the right way, do it the wrong way in front of a lot of people. Pain is a powerful tutor. And experience can also be a useful guide. People are fascinating to me. I think in every possible sense of the word. I feel so bad for people struggling to control their lives by their own abilities and making decisions that, uh, that they really don't completely understand people who are suffering the consequences in a world that is, in some ways, it's stacked against them. There are times when we feel like we're in total control of our lives, usually when we're dreaming, and times when we feel like we're just along for the ride with no ability to influence the outcome of our lives in any way. Usually, the reality is somewhere in between the two, trying to rein in the forces outside of our understanding, and at the same time trying to control our own irrational disposition. In this section of chapter 18, we're going to examine today, there are two kinds of people. And, you know, to be fair, there are two kinds of people in the world everywhere. People who make mistakes and fail, do the wrong thing, sometimes by accident, sometimes intentionally, and in the end, they're able to profit and benefit from those failings by the grace of God. And the other people are those who make mistakes and fail, do the wrong thing, either by accident or intentionally, and in the end, they suffer terrible consequences from those failures. People are complicated, very complicated, to everyone but God. God understands the things about us that we can't begin to understand. And one of the things, really, that allows him to be completely just with every single human being. He gets it. Which also is one of the things that allows him to envision for us a means of being redeemed and saved. To turn all the garbage of our lives into a happy ending. To save us from our aimless conduct, which we received by tradition from our fathers, it says in 1 Peter 1, verse 18. In chapter 18, we're in the middle of Jesus' last night here during his earthly ministry. He spent the early part of the evening leading his disciples in the Passover supper, washing their feet, giving them vital instructions for the events that they're going to face some of which we'll go over in some detail here a little bit later on. This section of chapter 18 really deals with two specific situations that take place almost simultaneously. First, upon the arrest of Jesus, from what we have in the scripture, 
Only two of his disciples have followed him to the place of his arraignment. In verse 15, back into the city, one of them is Simon Peter. The other, we think, may be the apostle John, though his name doesn't show up anywhere in the narrative. The second thing that's taking place in this section is Jesus is to be officially confronted by the Jewish religious authorities as he is beginning his journey to free us at the greatest personal expense to himself. And this is a good thing. It's a bad night. It's a good thing. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5.11, Jesus said, Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice! And be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Peter later writes to believers in 1 Peter 4, verse 14, If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of the glory of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. I want you to think about that just for a second. What he says, For the spirit of the glory and of God rests upon you. What a thing. Think about that. I know you, you know, there are so many things that we deal with in the scripture day by day. Concepts and ideas that we really cannot begin to understand. And it's important that we understand that we don't understand those things but yet we realize that it is an amazing statement beyond our ability to conceive. To take that in, to try and take that in, in some way as we're able. Only God can make such amazing benefits from so hopeless a circumstance. Only God. Only God could make such an amazing amazing person as he intends you to be from such a limited source as you. He can do it. Peter's denial, part one. And this is John chapter 18, verses 15, 16, 17, and 18. In Luke chapter 22, we have the account of Jesus speaking to Peter. Luke 22, 31, this is a parallel passage just before our situation tonight. The Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat and that word asked for you, really in the Greek language, if you do some work and in, look into it, it's he has demanded to have you. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. When Peter heard this, he had a very interesting response. And we'll get to that a little bit later. But right now, I, I kind of wonder if that conversation is anywhere near Peter's thoughts. Obviously, we don't know. I suspect it may seem like a long time ago as Jesus is being hustled back into the city from the Mount of Olives, from the the garden there. And so much has happened in just a few hours. Verse 15 reads, And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest, and went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door outside. Then the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out, spoke to her who kept the door, and brought Peter in. Then the servant girl, who kept the door, said to Peter, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I'm not. Now the servants and officers who had made a fire of coals stood there, for it was cold. And they warmed themselves, and Peter stood with them and warmed himself. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. In spite of the mess in the garden, and it was pretty serious mess, okay? There was, uh, there was a problem, there was an altercation, people swinging swords, whole lot of confusion, people running around with torches and lamps in the dark. You know, full moon out, but, you know, there's shade, olive trees there. And the end result was that no one was really harmed. Jesus was bound, it tells us in chapter 18, verse 12. 
and taken off to the temp- by the temple guards. And his request, the request of Jesus, let these go their way, John 18, 8, they honored. They did not detain or bring any of the other disciples with them. And as Jesus had said, when they were coming to the Mount of Olives in Matthew 26, 31, Jesus said to them all, You will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. And that's cool. As with so many quotes in the book of Matthew, it's a quote from the Old Testament. That particular quote comes from Zechariah chapter 13. Jesus quoting, this is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy over and over again. And you've got to realize that's coming from 800 years before the birth of Jesus or somewhere in that neighborhood. Maybe a little less, maybe about six or five. But regardless, it's a long time before Jesus was born. They were all scattered. And we don't know where they have gone except for these two guys. These two guys followed Jesus. Now, you wouldn't think it would take some serious conviction to follow along behind your arrested leader. On the one hand, they're definitely doing the right thing. I mean, stay with Jesus. As long as you're with Jesus, you're good. On the other hand, you have to be thinking, how smart is this? Let's see. I just tried to cut the head off of the high priest's servant, but he's fine. No hard feelings, hopefully. They have to be wondering, how is this going to sort out? They've been through a lot of dicey situations with Jesus before, and he's brought them through every time. In uh, Luke chapter 4, the city of Nazareth, they're preparing to throw Jesus off the top of the hill and you know kill him, and he walks away. In, in John chapter 8, uh, actually... They took up stones to throw at Jesus. And he went out of the temple through the midst of them. John chapter 10, the Jews again took up stones. Twice in John chapter 7, uh, they, they threatened him. They were going to lay their hands on actually the uh, officers of the priest. The priest guard went out to arrest Jesus. And they couldn't do it. No one ever spoke like this man. They couldn't bring themselves to arrest him. But there was something different about this night. Jesus was different in the garden. Matthew 26, 37, he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. And he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch with me. And not only that, but the apostles have really been expecting a confrontation like this with the religious leaders for some time. You go back and and just comb through the Gospels carefully. John chapter 11, verse 8, before uh, raising Lazarus from the dead, the disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews have sought to stone you, and you're going there again? They knew what was coming. And their final, uh, the bottom line in, in John chapter 11, before they headed back to the raising of Lazarus, was let's go and die with him. That's what they said. These guys were committed. So though they may be in shock... This is not a huge surprise to these men. They've, they've seen this coming a long ways off. It is, I think, their confidence in Jesus that has strengthened them to follow him in spite of the possible consequences. These guys are trying to do the right thing, even at the risk of their own lives, which is commendable. So they arrive at the high priest's compound, We don't know exactly where this place is. It's back in the upper city, and it may actually not be too far from where they had eaten the Last Supper together. So they've made sort of a circuit going back into the city. Another interesting thing about this, this is going to be the first night that we have on record, other than when Jesus was 12 years old at the temple, that Jesus has spent the night in the city of Jerusalem. We don't have any other record of Jesus having spent the night in the city of Jerusalem. You've got to think there's a reason for that. There's a purpose. They take him back in. They arrive at the compound. We don't know exactly where it is. The other disciple is known not only to the staff. Notice what it says in verse 16. Peter stood at the door outside. The other disciple who was known to the high priest. He's not just known to the 
people at the house, he is known, this disciple is known to the high priest. And they who went to the, the girl who kept the door, spoke to her, and brought Peter in. How does that work? How does one of Jesus' disciples become known to the high priest? And folks, if you're going to look at commentaries and even the notes in your Bible, you will read speculation forever on this point. Uh, John was from a well-to-do family. A lot of people assume this was John because he's referred to as the other disciple because John refers to himself as the one who leaned on Jesus' breast. And then later on in, in John chapter 20, as we get after the resurrection, John refers to himself as the other disciple who leaned on Jesus' breast. But I want to point out to you here, the Greek language is different. This is not the other disciple. It's really another disciple. So John is not using the same word that he uses for himself in chapter 20 to identify who this guy is, which raises the, is it John? Maybe it is. Maybe it is. John and Peter are like, you know, peas in a pod in the next few chapters here. So it very possibly could, but we don't really know. We don't know. Whoever this guy is, he's known to the high priest. They say, well, John came from a wealthy family. He had servants, which he did. John and, and James and their father had servants. Mark chapter 1, verse 20. They had, well, they, made, they had commercial ties with fishing and selling salted fish in Jerusalem. And, you know, well, maybe that's true. Um, actually, William Barclay claims that there was in Jerusalem an ancient church built upon a location of Zebedee's house in Jerusalem. Maybe, bottom line, we, we have no idea. We don't know. And it's important for us not to build cases on things that we don't know. It's important for us to stick to what the scripture says. So we have to do that. People are inclined to identify this man with John, the other disciple. And again, I shared with you the phrases is different. The other apostle, whoever it is, known to the high priest, we know that for sure, period. He went right in. He was able to get Peter in in verse 17. And as he did, as he did, the servant girl asked, you are not also one of this man's disciples? He said, I am not. She didn't ask the other guy. Isn't that interesting? She didn't ask him. And you've got to think this situation is from the Lord. It is prompted by the Lord, or certainly God allowed it. God's plans are always accomplished, folks, in spite of or in exception to human choice and effort. God's will will always be done. And the question she asks is interesting, partly because it assumes the negative. Okay, what does that mean? She presupposes the answer, no, I'm not. You're not one of this guy's disciples, are you? And so in one sense, he's agreeing with her, just saying, yeah, right, whatever. But he doesn't say, yeah, right, whatever. He says, no, I am not plainly and clearly. Did he have a reason to answer in this way? Did he have a justification? Sure, sure he did. Jesus being held in custody, Peter wants to help him. Can Peter help if he's arrested too? No, doesn't make any sense. So he answers, maybe without a thought. Maybe he hasn't even thought about it. He said, I am not. And he goes about his business. Now, you know, not every sin that a person commits is purposeful with a malicious intent. Sometimes things just happen, wrong things. Sometimes things happen pretty quickly, and you don't really catch on to what's gone down until after the fact. That's the reality of life. Life comes at you fast. And one of the reasons the Scripture tells us in, in 1 Peter 1.13, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Get your, get your head together. Be sober. You know, can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people trying to explain to me why it was okay for them to use drugs and drink and, and all this other stuff, you know? And I mean, seriously, I know a ton of believers that feel like it's okay for them to drink. And I have, I've never felt that way. You know, um, I don't know, maybe, and I think, gosh, was my experience with alcohol and drugs so different in the world that that's just made me prejudiced, that I never used alcohol or drugs 
for anything but one particular reason, you know, that I just wanted to become unconscious as quickly as possible. And maybe these other people are different than me. You know, they just like the taste of alcohol. Give me a break. <laughs> anyway, you know, it's uh, be sober. Be sober in your thinking. You ever think about how fortunate you are every day as you drive down the street that some little kid doesn't run out in front of your car? Every single day. And how many people does that happen to? Oh, Lord, have mercy upon us. You're never the same. Your life has changed forever. And God is gracious to us. I want to be, you know, I'm getting old. I can't remember things anymore. I can't see anymore. I want to be as best able as I possibly can to make decisions that are in my best interest. That's the selfish part. But more importantly, in the interests of why the Lord has placed me here. Peter had a lot going on. Maybe he was a little overwhelmed. I could see that. Did he deny the Lord? Oh, yes, he did. He did deny the Lord. And so he went in. He did deny the Lord. And now in verse 18 says, The servants and officers who had made fire of cold stood there, for it was cold. They warmed themselves, and Peter stood with them and warmed himself. So Peter's warming himself at the fires of those who are the enemies of Christ. Not by choice entirely, but still not the best company, not the company that you should choose. Jesus had been taken to stand before the high priest. In a couple of places, both Annas and Caiaphas, both of them are referred to as the high priest. Luke chapter 3, verse 2 says, Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, plural. And the word of the Lord came to John. This is back in the very beginning of the gospel. Um, in, uh, or actually the beginning of uh, John's ministry. Acts 4, 6 says, Well, as Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander were part of the high priestly family. So in, in, in Acts 4, Luke is of the opinion that Annas specifically. And then in John 18, Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Later on in our chapter here, he calls Caiaphas the high priest. Now, historically, the evidence tells us that Caiaphas was the high priest. But it also tells us, see, the high priest is supposed to be high priest for life. Or unless there's some extenuating circumstances in which he, he cannot continue. The Romans arranged for the high priestly duties to be shifted from one person to another based on probably money that they could make off the people, a little bit of graft, and also high priestly cooperation with the Roman authorities. And this was all an in-house deal. And so... The speculation is Caiaphas was high, official high priest this year, but Annas was really the power behind the man. Um, Annas, whose name means humble, was appointed as high priest for the first time in 7 AD, just a few years after the birth of Christ, uh, by a guy named Quirinius, ruler of Syria, until about 13 AD. And during his life, five of his sons served as high priests, and I think Caiaphas, who's really his son-in-law, is, fits into that category as one of his sons. There's some substantial difference in the accounts of the denials of Peter in the four Gospels. And you have to take into account a couple of things. One, that Peter's denials and the interrogation by the high priest and the Sanhedrin happen simultaneously. And the appearance before the Sanhedrin is not mentioned in John. John makes it a point not to cover things that are covered in detail in the other three Gospels. He doesn't want to rehash the stuff that he's got. Very few things that he does, and only those things are very, very important. But if you sit down and you look at all four accounts of Peter's denial, there, uh, one mentions that uh, the rooster's going to crow twice, and, and some of the wording is different in the specifics of his denial. But if the, John is not the other apostle here, then that means that everything we're getting is secondhand through somebody else. Matthew wasn't there. Certainly Mark wasn't there. And John, if he was not there, was not an eyewitness to this. The Holy Spirit certainly inspires the account. And if you look at all four accounts, you'll see that basically we have the same story through and through without contradiction. 
The Sanhedrin, again, not mentioned because John doesn't cover those issues. At this point in the narrative, it changes gears from Peter's situation to Jesus' conversation with Annas and his people, whoever they were. So, verses 19 through 24, Christ before the high priest. Again, life happens all at once, doesn't it? Awkward and difficult situations of our lives don't wait for what we would like to think of as appropriate timing. When it rains, it pours. And the enemy loves to attack when we're distracted, unprepared. Fortunately, Jesus is not distracted. He's focused. And all through this, in all four Gospels, you get that over and over and over again. Jesus is focused. Verse 19, the high priest then asked Jesus about his disciples and his doctrine. Jesus answered him, I spoke openly to the world. I always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where the Jews always meet. And in secret, I have said nothing. Why do you ask me? Ask those who heard what I said to them. Indeed, they know what I said. And when he said these things, one of the officers who stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand. Do you answer the high priest like that? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why do you strike me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. John's account of Annas' question here is kind of vague. The high priest then asked him about his disciples and his doctrine. We, I imagine, honestly, that Annas would likely have been somewhat more specific. But regardless, you get the idea of what he was questioning him about. And it could be that John had no access to the actual question. The bottom line here, he is asking Jesus to incriminate himself. Okay, you get that? He's asking Jesus for information that will incriminate him before the council of the Jews, which, just by an interesting coincidence, is contrary to the law of Moses. The high priest is asking Jesus a question that is contrary to the law of Moses. Mamanides, a 10th century Jewish sage and philosopher, said, Our law does not inflict the penalty of death upon a sinner by his own confession. In Deuteronomy 19.15, one witness shall not rise against a man concerning any iniquity or any sin that he commits. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, the matter shall be established. And this is the principle throughout the scripture. As the leaders, the religious leaders, told Jesus in John chapter 8, verse 13, the Pharisees therefore said to him, you bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. Meaning, not that it's not true, but that it's not admissible. Meaning the testimony of one person does not qualify to be received as fact. And guess what? If testimony is not reliable to acquit you, neither is it able to convict you. But to be clear, for us, the Jewish leaders were playing very fast and loose with the law of Moses as it pertained to the trial of Jesus. Annas is likely very well acquainted with Jesus' teaching as they have, him and his buddies, have got so much time and energy invested in this conspiracy to dispose of Jesus. They have gone through four, four to six renditions of their effort to catch Jesus in his own words with embarrassing results every single time. So Annas knows that Jesus is not likely to be tripped up easily in his words. Of course, in this particular uh, setting, there may be a good deal more pressure on Jesus. Annas may be banking on that. We don't know. Interestingly, though, Jesus' response, at least in, from what I understand in the original language, is very in-your-face to this guy. Uh, Jesus answered him, I spoke openly in the world. I always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where the Jews always meet, and in secret I have said nothing. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. Indeed, they know what I said. All of the eyes, where Jesus mentions I, 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 I throughout these two verses, are emphasized in the Greek language. So Jesus here, 
as he will also before Caiaphas and also before Pilate, is not intimidated. Jesus is not intimidated. He really comes across as in charge of the situation. If you read it with an open mind, read what Jesus is saying. He's talking like a person who's in control. And you're wondering, who's in charge here? Pretty awesome. Even in these strange and confusing circumstances, he's there for a purpose, and he knows it. And at least a part of his purpose there is to serve the people who are accusing him. How does he do that? Well, by helping Annas to remember the guidelines of the law, by confronting Annas with the error of his way, by saying to him, think about what you're doing here. Think about what you're doing. The family of Annas throughout the histories of the Jewish nation is not well thought of, probably not well thought of by anybody. The Talmud, the Talmud, and I believe this is from the Babylonian Talmud, not the Jerusalem Talmud, says of the family of Annas, woe to the house of Annas, woe to their serpent's hiss. They are high priests, their sons are keepers of the treasury, their sons-in-law are guardians of the temple, and their servants beat the people with staves. That's not exactly what you want to be remembered as in Jewish hierarchy. And how did Annas respond to the words of Jesus? And, and don't be confused, even though Annas didn't say anything, when he had said these things, one of the officers who stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand. Do you answer the high priest like that? And Jesus answered, if I've spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if, well, why do you strike me? To which he gets absolutely no response from Annas or anyone else. Because such people don't want to even begin to acknowledge that authority has responsibility. Authority has responsibility. You know where I think that gets forgotten more than anywhere else is with parents. Because parents start off dealing with kids when kids don't know to ask, why are you making me do this? You know? Three years old, they don't, they don't know that there's an opportunity. to. And by the time they get six, seven, eight, you, you can intimidate a child, especially as men. You can intimidate, intimidate a child for a long time with size and volume and physical strength for a long time until they get to be about 12 or 13 or they figure out that you really do love them and you're really not going to hurt them and they're not intimidated anymore and they will walk right up to you and knock that chip off your shoulder and say, yeah, let's see, what are you going to do about it? And they will. And this is why it's so important as a parent to recognize that authority has responsibility. My responsibility, authority in any situation is to encourage people to willingly comply with my request. My job as a parent has always been to encourage my kids to want to do the right thing. I can only make my kids do the right thing for a very short period of time. But if I work with them and bless them and love them and care for them and help them to understand, I can help them get to a place where they themselves on their own want to do the right thing. That's the goal of a parent. And that is what these people don't understand. We're not here to answer your questions. Who are you anyway? Yeah, if you only knew. If you only knew who you're talking to. You may not have to answer today. Maybe not, but you will someday. God does not settle all his accounts in one day, but he will one day settle all his accounts. You see, what you have here, interesting, is sort of the the blueprint for the story of Mark Twain's book, The Prince and the Pauper, where the king of England decides that he just wants to be a gutter snipe and takes off and switches places with another kid who looks just like him. And he runs around the streets. And here he is, most powerful person in in the nation, and runs around, gets in a lot of trouble, and almost, you know, gets thrown into prison until they figure out that he's really the king. And where did that idea come from? God coming to earth in in the guise of human flesh. 
many other pieces of literature as well. An amazing picture of God before the man of earthly power. And let me ask you, how does earthly power compare with God's power? Not too favorably. And Annas, or Caiaphas for that matter, not even all that powerful as a human man in a worldly sense. They're just kowtowing to Rome and doing what the Romans tell them to do and, and you know, in some backwater kingdom controlled by the Roman Empire. Annas has been high priest. He's dramatically accountable. His sons have been high priests, three of his sons so far. Hard to find anyone in this chapter that's more accountable than Annas. Which raises another question, a question, honestly, that only God can answer, and that's the question of intent. Simon Peter, so far, doesn't seem to be prepared for the test before him. You read the account, and you wonder, did he really think what he was doing or saying before it was done? Only God knows for sure. Annas, on the other hand, had weeks and months and many, many days of conspiring conversation to achieve his desired effect. They had a plan A, they had a plan B, C, D, all the way down the line. Their their outcome was never in question. It was just how far they needed to push it. Jesus was going to die, which is kind of interesting because it was really never in question from Jesus' perspective either. He knew that he was going to die. The only thing in question is how much responsibility would you like to hold on to from this mess? How responsible do you want to be when you stand in front of God? Finding him to be not as simple as he would have liked, Anna sends him on to the Sanhedrin and to Caiaphas. Can you imagine striking God in the face with evil intent? I don't even want to think about it. See, that guy had to stand before the Lord. He had to stand before the Lord. Maybe, you know, maybe he got saved. I hope he did. John chapter 16, verse 2, it says, they will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers service to God. Stretching the boundaries of human confusion. How confused can a person be? You'd be surprised. Peter's denial, part 2, verses 25, 26, and 27. Now, Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. Therefore, they said to him, You're not also one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it and said, I am not. Then one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of him whose ear Peter had cut off, said, Did I not see you in the garden with him? And Peter denied again. And immediately a rooster crowed. I don't know exactly what Peter thought was gonna, he was going to do here. Maybe, again, it was the idea of just staying with Jesus, which is not a terrible idea. One of the things that makes this most difficult is that It was Peter's intention somewhere in here to offer himself for Christ if necessary. And it would be necessary, just not today. Peter is going to die today, don't get me wrong. Just not in the way that he thought. In John 13, 37, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. And Jesus answered him, You will lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow until you have denied me three times. Now, the first denial could have been a surprise. If that's the case, go back and correct your words. Humble yourself. No, 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 I I am his disciple. Tell the truth. The second, much harder to justify, just because it's basically the same question all over again and he says the same thing again. And you know by then, it had to really ding him before it came out of his mouth. He had to be like, ugh. (laughs) By the time we got to the third, there almost has to be an element of self-preservation involved 
Not only are they asking about Jesus, they're asking about Peter's actions in the garden. Uh-oh! You may want to do the most noble thing in the whole world. That doesn't mean that you're going to be able to do it. Some years ago, we had an interesting situation on a Thursday night. Uh, we were here in the church and going about, and service ended, and people in the bookstore, everybody getting ready to leave. And all of a sudden, the word came in from the parking lot that there was somebody running around the parking lot with a gun. And so we closed up the doors, didn't want to let anybody out of the building. And uh, somebody had robbed Sahara, the restaurant over here. And they went out, they had a car in our lot, jumped in their car, took off. And the owner of Sahara ran out of his restaurant with a you know, handgun in his hand. He's looking around trying to find these people who, who robbed him. And uh, so, and, and I remember, now you think about these things in your mind all the time, you know. What if this happened? What if that happened? What if something, you know? What if there was this and that or the other? Wow, you know, if somebody comes into the church with a gun or whatever, you know. Okay, so you think about this stuff. And I remember going to the glass doors over there by the office and thinking, <laughs> I don't think there's any force on earth that could make me go outside there. I just, I didn't, I felt like there was a physical barrier stopping me. from. There's no way on earth I would ever go out there for anything. You know, and it was just wild. And I think, wow. And you know, it's interesting, other people, especially if there was a need for somebody to be helped or something, I, I don't know that my perspective would have changed. And other people look at that. It's so easy to look at somebody in that situation and say, wow, well, you're, just, you're a coward. You know, I, I think kind of in reality, the opposite is kind of true. For somebody to go out and with abandon without thought for their own safety, that's really unusual. It, the normal thing is to be, wow, I hope that lady's okay. Ooh, that's bad. You know, I think that's normal. Well, would I like to be the other way? Oh, I really would. I really wish I just... In Job chapter 2, verse 4, Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yes, all that a man has will he give for his life. Don't imagine that you're the exception to the rule here, guys. The enemy is not speaking from ignorance. He knows who we are. He knows who we are. Sad as it is, we are all susceptible to the same influence. Galatians 5.16 says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Some months earlier, and I, and I really think that is, is such a key to this whole thing with Peter, some months earlier in the ministry of Jesus, when he was in northern Israel, Peter had received from the Lord a terrible, terrible rebuke. And we have an account of it in Mark 8 and Matthew chapter 16. Jesus asked the disciples who the people thought he was. And of course, they had many interesting ideas. They didn't know who Jesus was. They had a lot of ideas, just like people don't know today who Jesus is. Then he asked the disciples, who they said that he was. And in Matthew 16, 16, Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven, which is so important, you guys, because nobody, no person, no human person can ever know any part of who Jesus really is without God in heaven revealing it to them. People do not come by the knowledge of who Jesus... They, they can know the words. They can have the ideas lodged in their brains somewhere. Son of the creator of the universe, son of God, all these Messiah died for our sins. They can have all those ideas, but that's not knowing who Jesus is. Knowing who Jesus is is a radically, dramatically different thing. To have that reality of who Jesus really is. And you only get that one way. And that comes by the hand of God, touch, just as God touched Peter here. So important. In Matthew 16, verse 20, he commanded his disciples they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. And from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed and be raised the third day. In Mark chapter 8, 32, says that he spoke the word openly, and Peter took him aside 
and began to rebuke him. But when he turned around and looked at the disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. This night in Jerusalem, as Jesus is prepared to take the most important step in his earthly ministry, Peter is having the same problem all over again. Though his intentions are noble from a human perspective, is he being led by the Holy Spirit of God? Is this God's leading that has put him in this position and caused him to deny that he knows Jesus three times? He is being mindful of the things of men. He's going to make it happen in his own ability. He's going to take this situation and he's going to, you know, yeah, he's going to make it happen, all right. The only thing we need to do is to walk in the victory that Christ has intended is to follow his leading, to walk in the Holy Spirit. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Great advice. Great advice. Fortunately for Peter, Jesus had invested a great truth into his life. In John 13, 19, Jesus said, Now I tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass... You may believe that I am He. From chapter 12 on, the Lord has been preparing all of these 11 guys one way and another. And Jesus gave Peter a heads up. Sometime after each one of them had come to Jesus asking if they were the one who was going to betray Him. Pastor Xavier mentioned uh, this past Thursday at communion, you know, that every one of the 12 apostles, including Judas, Jesus says, you know, I'm going to be betrayed by one of you. And each one of them came to him and said, is it me? What a thing. What a thing. What a, a humility in their heart to be able to come to Jesus and ask that question. These guys love Jesus, you guys. I mean, they flat out loved him. They would do anything for him. They really would. In Luke twenty-two thirty-one, the Lord said to Simon, 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 indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned, strengthen your brethren. How cool. Jesus gave Peter hope. Even in telling him to prepare for the worst, he's given Peter hope in the same way that he has given you hope. Every one of you guys here. In the same way he's given you a future and a hope. And the way that he's spoken words over your life to give you a future and a hope. He's not done with Peter. And in just a few weeks' time, just a very few weeks' time, Peter, in the power of God's Holy Spirit, is going to preach two messages, will be present at the healing of a lame man at the temple. It's going to touch the lives of some 5,000 people in Jerusalem. And this man, Annas, and his son Caiaphas, will be desperate to stop the problem once and for all. They will call the disciples, Peter and John, before the rulers. It tells us in Acts chapter 4, verse 5, it came to pass on the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes, as well as Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them, meaning John and Peter, in the midst, they asked him, by what power... Or by what name have you done this? Now, the purpose of these guys is to intimidate with extreme prejudice. They want to intimidate these guys off the face of the earth. They intend to hold the disciples accountable to Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 1. Let me read it to you. If there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dream that gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder comes to pass... And that he spoke to you of saying, let us go after other gods, which you have not known. And so they're, they're asking him, what's the name? What's the name by which you've done these things? You know, do you qualify to be condemned under what it says here? And because if it's not the name of Yahweh, if it's not the Lord, you're in a lot of trouble. 
It says that they even noticed in Acts 4.13 when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived they were uneducated and untrained men and they marveled and then they realized they had been with Jesus. These guys had been with Jesus. But what they didn't realize, what they didn't realize is they were standing across from the one person in the entire world that was least likely ever to deny the name of Jesus. He was the one. There is nothing they could have said or done to this man to make him deny the name of Jesus. And in Acts 4.8, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for the good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he is made well, let it be known to you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead by him, this man stands before you whole. Not exactly what the priests were hoping for. Galatians chapter 5, verse 25 says, If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. You walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. You guys are human beings. You struggle every day. You live in a world full of beautiful women. God help you and have mercy upon your soul. You have other issues that I can't even imagine. But God has got his hand upon your life. You wouldn't be here tonight otherwise. And you can walk in the spirit of God. But you've got to commit yourself to do it. You've got to faithfully follow the purpose and the plan that God set before you. And God provides wisdom to deal with these issues. We're all failures, all of us. We fail in many, many ways. And God is faithful to lift us up, to strengthen our hearts, to use us as his servants, and to give us hope for the days to come. We need that. There are dark days coming on this world, folks. Dark days. And you and I need to be prepared because we're going to find ourselves in a situation where we need to run out into that parking lot to help that lady. And only the Spirit of God is going to enable us and bless us to do so. You want to learn how to do a thing the right way? Follow the Lord. Father, we thank you for being here with us tonight, Lord, for your grace and your goodness towards us. Father, for giving us hope, Lord, that you can forgive us for all of our many failures. And Lord, that you can affect us and change us. And Lord, make us into those men that you have intended us to be. Father, give us an urgency to follow your truth, to commit ourselves to the scripture, to exhort and encourage the hearts of others around us. Father, to be a blessing to your people in every possible way. Lord, we love you. And Lord, we want to learn how to love you effectively with our lives day by day. Bless our families. Father, bless our children. The people that we hold authority over, Lord, make us responsive. That, Father, we would conduct ourselves in a way that reveals your hand upon us to bless and to care for those who are weak. And, Father, those who need your help, guide us. We love you. Bless your people, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, you guys.